we champion startups that are making the world a better place through supply chain technology, through the application of technology and science and all the incredible knowledge that human civilization has developed over the centuries to making the world a better place for all of us. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at POSI, the number two IVE. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you focused on venture scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zach Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. Today's guest is Brian Long Aoe, a GP with Fashion Ventures headquartered in New York City. This episode will include three sections. First, building a family fund. Next, roots. And last, refashioned. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> I've enjoyed all of our conversations and so excited. Let's jump right into things. You have a background in teaching. I would love to learn more about that, kind of priming the guests for the show. So uh, I come from a family of teachers. My, you know, my grandfather, my granduncle, my aunts and uncles, uh, my parents are teachers. And so for a long time, I've said I don't, I'm not going to go into the family business. Uh, but then, you know, somehow I found myself teaching at NYU, teaching the intro, the intro supply chain and operations management course there. In the pandemic semester, no less. It was my first oh, time. Gee. It there was my first it. time teaching. Um, oh, wow. But I, I think teaching comes naturally to me because like, because like I said, all my life I've, I've been surrounded by teachers. I've got to watch them teach. I think I can say that my parents are really, really great teachers. They have a knack for instilling the joy of learning into their students and the kids that they are responsible for. And every single time their students go on to do amazing things. And so I think Teaching comes naturally to me, and so uh, teaching the course at NYU was relatively easy. It was a lot of work, but it was relatively easy. And I had I had the good fortune to see firsthand how young people are thinking about issues like climate change. They are changing attitudes towards fast fashion. Uh, how much, uh, how seriously they take the issue of sustainability. Um, and I think that is that really opened my eyes and gave me some confidence that the investment thesis we're pursuing at Refashion Ventures makes a lot of sense and will continue to make a lot of sense. In the- Wonderful. I, I love that you, you really set the, the stage for the rest of the show. It's brilliant. Um, I want to also maybe just go back for one moment to the, the fast fashion aspect. Can you tell us more about the experience there and how that kind of led you to think about fast fashion in different ways from the perspective of teaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, fortunately for me, before the first day of class, my program director at the at NYU Tandon said to me, okay, Brian, I have to warn you, right, th- these are in supply chain majors. <laughs> these are in supply chain, so operations management majors. They aren't like dying to learn about supply chain. And so that might be a challenge. You have to find a way you have to figure that out. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> and it was a very useful uh, observation he made because what I decided to do on the first day of class was to 
put things in context and explain why that class mattered. And so we talked about supply chains, we talked about operations, and you know why they are so critical to everything that we do and everything that happens in a company. And then uh, towards the end of class, I turned things over to them to talk about you know observations, comments, and whatnot. And somehow the conversation got to fast fashion and complaints about fast fashion. And the thing that struck me was the emotion and anger which they expressed about the way fast fashion in general operates. And specifically, some of the names, some of the companies that they direct that they that they directed their ire towards. And then Another thing, and I'm, I'm, you know, not so proud to say this, but it's the truth. You know, once we started talking about fast fashion, I made the assumption that it would be the young women in the class who would be most engaged in that conversation and who would be most. And once I realized it was that, that, that there was anger, I thought they would be most engaged and they would be most vocal. Yeah. But then I discovered that the young men in the class were just as annoyed and just uh-huh. as upset and just as and yeah. just as impassioned in the end. I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, it seems like a it seems like a hot topic, like fast fashion. It's it's been a big concern for everyone. It's like, really what is going on? I didn't expect the entire yeah, yeah. class uh-huh. to be up in arms. Um, yeah, but 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 it also made me think. You know, I wonder if the executives of these companies know what's happening uh, because it looks as if their customers are turning against them. Really great, great point there. I mean, so this this led you to lead into more thinking about supply chains and some of the, the aspects of change going forward, from what I recall. So it confirmed some of it confirmed some of the hypotheses that Lisa and I had been developed, and Lisa is my co-founder um, uh, at Refashioned Ventures and the Worldwide Supply Chain uh, Federation. It confirmed some of the hunches that we had been working on. The interesting thing is that you know we developed our hypotheses on instincts and information and evidence that we thought was pretty obvious. Yes. Um, but that didn't seem to be obvious to other people. And as you know, Zeka, in, 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 in that sort of situation, you're always sort of grasping for proof. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. You're, you're pitching to LPs and they're like, why would anyone want to, want to invest in supply chain technology? And what the hell is supply chain technology? anyway yeah well good good questions i mean what what are the boundaries of supply chain technology for you right now how do you how do you frame that you know so 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 one we think of supply chains as the networks that enable production and consumption and let's let's leave that as a teaser actually because we're going to go back into it in the third section and i don't want us to put the cart too far back before let's the whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, yeah. let's let's break out into. I want to get to know you. Let our listeners get to know you a bit more and and your experience in venture as well. You, Alyssa, uh, go into building a family fund. Can you tell yes. us about that story? Yes. So in uh, and this this I still find to be incredible. And you know, I, I arrived in the states in '97. Uh, got my first degree 
uh, in math and physics. Uh, did a bunch of different things between uh, when I graduated college in 2001 and 2008. 2008 is where, for, for the purpose of this question, 2008 is really the important uh, uh, marker because um, I had been let go from Lehman Brothers. I was job oh, hunting. My. That was and, the time, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. It was the height wow. of the financial, the, the financial crisis was just unfolding. So I had been let go. I was having trouble finding a job, as you can imagine, like mm-hmm. everyone else. And then one day I got an email that said, "Hey Brian, we saw your profile online. We think you would oh, be gosh. ideal for an interesting job. We're trying to field. Do you want to wow, talk?" Wow, that's fantastic. And so I said, "You know, Brian, the smart thing to do is go talk to whoever." This <laughs> yeah, is. for sure. Um, To cut a long story short, even though I didn't think I would be the person that got the job, at the end of the recruiting process, um, they said to me, hey, Brian, we want you to come do this. Uh, will you join us? And I said, when can, when can I start? So, 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 so what was this job? It's a gentleman called Jeff Citron, um, three-time uh, founder, Daytech Online is one company. Daytech Online got bought by Ameritrade. Ameritrade got bought by TD Bank. That's now TD Ameritrade. And the Island ECN is another company he built. Um, Island ECN, I think, was bought by the ARCA Exchange, which got bought bought by NASDAQ. Then the third company is a company called Vonage, the voiceover IP company. He, uh, as I understand it, he met the team, put in $2 million of his own money, joined them as as a founding CEO, and the rest in history. They went public in, I think, 2006. So um, the job was with his family office. At the time, he was CEO of Vonage. CEO and chairman of the board. Um, it was with his family office. This person would be the second employee at the family office, the first employee being the the family office's C, uh, CFO. And the reason they were bringing this new person on was so that this person would start a direct investing initiative. Ah, um, yes. At that point, I hadn't done any direct investing. Oh, wow. I had Amazing. I had been a data analyst in HR. I had worked as an actuarial analyst in retirement consulting and retirement and pension consulting. So <laughs> I did not think I did not think of all the people being let go from Wall Street. I didn't think I would be the one. Well, it kind of makes sense <laughs> analyzing deals. I mean, data perspective. You say that, but I'm going to defend you here. You know, I I had just finished my MBA at NYU in June of 08. I had just passed the level one exam of the CFA. Ah, yes. Um, And so they said, we want you to come and do this. And I said, when can can I start? It it was an incredible experience. Well, well, let me stop for a moment for listeners that aren't aware of the CFA designation. Um, You've completed all three of these series, if I'm correct. Yes, I have. Yes. So you are a chartered financial analyst, a holder of that, correct? And just for those who are unaware of this, um, I want to just give a moment. And please, I'd rather you represent this, but this is an incredibly robust program. It's one of the most difficult quantitative finance programs on the planet. Um, Many, 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 many people fail this and attempt. I've even tried it myself and I I failed in in that course. Um, You really pushed through and made this happen. I mean, you having the designation, the MBA, the experience at Lehman, I mean, those those are incredible <laughs> credentials. Uh, so really, why I you. want to acknowledge that again. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the CFA is, is, I think it takes a special, so, so, so it's in, for, for context, 
right after college, I wanted to become an actuary. Yes. That meant I'd work during the day and then at night I'd study a lot of very difficult math. <laughs> and, then, yes, right. and then I would take an exam. I wasn't passing those the actuarial exams quickly enough, which is I one see. of the reasons I, I abandoned uh, the effort to become an actuary. Um, wow. The CFA exams, you're absolutely right. They are very rigorous. Level one is like 3,100 pages of reading. Level <laughs> two is like, is like 3,900 pages of reading. It gets worse, oh. <laughs> level three is like 3500 pages it's like it's a lot um uh and and i think eight but by, by my calculations about eight to twelve percent of all the people who start level one make it through to have yes that's yeah, it yeah, yeah. so it's 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 a uh, but i i found it to be very rewarding very cha- challenging i failed I failed level two, three times, and I oh failed my. level three, four times. Oh, my, 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 my. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everyone, Brian is the definition of perseverance, okay? <laughs> well, the, 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 the thing I like to point out is, you know, on the CFA exams and exams like that, you're going up against the very best. It's like, yes. being, in, it's like being a Formula One driver. Right. Right. You're going up against the most highly motivated, highly energized, absolutely incredibly smart people. And if everything isn't like clicking on all cylinders, you're just not going to make it. And so each time I failed, I didn't interpret it as you know, you're not smart enough. I interpreted it as, you know, things were just not where they needed to be. So go back to the drawing board and optimize what you can and and do it again. <laughs> That's so, I love this. And I, I think it does tie into like, we, we had some chats about learning in general and I, I you alluded to the, the accountability and joy idea that your parents shared with you. I, yeah. I don't know if you said it specifically. I just want to highlight that. And there's something about that perseverance in, in your learning, your ability to to push yourself and be motivated. It's it's I, I just want to recognize it again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I, it's it's sort of, you know, like I said, I studied, I, I think I said this, I studied math and physics for my undergrad. And one of the things I've at least that I found about being a math and physics or double major is that most of my learning occurred on my own. It was most of my learning did not occur in class, right? The teachers mostly were guides, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, here are some hints. But most of what I learned really happened outside of the classroom. And it absolutely, if you didn't enjoy it, if you didn't hold yourself accountable, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to complete uh, a math and physics uh, double major. And I, and I assume that's true in other STEM, in other STEM or highly technical fields too. Well, this I like the ability to let the show evolve into a more personal conversation, just one about philosophy and, and background and such. And I do want to move into section two on roots, but I also want to just acknowledge if there's anything else you want to talk about in the experience that ties into the later conversation about um, direct deal investing, working in a family office, some feedback you can give listeners that are venture capitalists that listen to the show or other founders that can help them understand what the thinking is for, for most people who are making decisions in a family office. I think that can be helpful, but also just tie in any other useful uh, information would be excellent. 
Yeah, I, the, the, my experience at KC Holdings and then KC Ventures, which is uh, the time I spent with Jeff Citron and his family office, was really transformative in the sense that initially at the beginning, you know, family offices have the the flexibility and the agility and the ability to invest in anything they want to invest in. And so that meant right from day one, I was doing everything from, you know, focused, very, very focused on two turnaround uh, assignments. The family office had invested in two companies that were struggling, fine dining and private jet charters. And so I was working with those executives to to turn those companies around and keep them alive. I was looking at uh, publicly traded equity investments, fixed income investments, real estate investments, hedge funds, private equity. I was helping manage the fund of funds portfolio of the family wow. office. I was also looking at startups, right? There was a time we there was a time when we spent a number of years incubating a derivatives, a financial derivatives oh startup from scratch. I was wow. responsible for developing the uh, pricing models for the derivative instruments. And, and, and so family offices are a great place to get a really wide experience across okay. asset classes. And then in 2011, when the family decided to set up a venture fund, that's when I started to focus much more I on see. early stage venture. And ultimately, you know, the family put something like $100 million into the fund. It was basically a single LP fund, although there were some LPs from outside um mm-hmm. uh, uh and yeah it, it, it we made like so 51 great. investments it, it was an incredible experience i like to describe it as you know basically it's as if jeff citron and his family somehow found a kid from a village in northern ghana and said uh, you, why don't you come and why don't we build a $100 million venture fund around you? I, I, I want to suggest it's a little bit more than that. I like, I like that you sent us right back into the section. I appreciate it. So let's, let's go to the roots aspect um, in your experience growing up in Africa. So tell me about, tell me about it. Just tell us like um, what your life was like growing up. Yeah, it's it, it it was it was it was I think something that people in North America will find interesting. So I come from Ghana. I grew up in Nigeria. My mom and dad, who like I mentioned, that teachers moved to Nigeria in '79, uh, and they've lived in Kano, a city in northern Nigeria, since then. Um, when I was 12, they decided that because I'm the firstborn son of the firstborn son of my <laughs> of my grandfather, wow. um, no I should, pressure there. <laughs> I should go back home and learn my uh, our language, learn the culture and whatnot. And so, when I was 12 and it was time to go to secondary school, they sent me back home to boarding school. Now, the interesting thing there is, you know, boarding school uh, is what most people uh uh attend at home uh so it's not like in the united states where boarding school is for the very wealthy mostly oh, at home uh it's 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 the opposite boarding school is what everyone does and I then see. the other thing i think that's unique is that because of the state of telecommunications in west africa at the time when i left them uh, at the beginning of the school year, I essentially had no means of communicating with my parents till the end of the school year. 
<laughs> and then during breaks from school, I would live with my grandfather in the village. And when I say the village, I mean no electricity, no running water. I was spending my time on the farm with him. He was a subsistence farmer. Um, but what I learned is, and my grandfather's personal story is remarkable in and of itself, but what I learned is you know, self-sufficiency, generosity, tenacity, uh, you know, like don't make excuses just because you lack the resources. Yeah. You know, one of the things that he would always say to me is it's not, it's really not what you have that makes the difference. It's what you do with, with what you have that's going to determine how far you go. And, you know, just to talk about his personal story a little bit. Please. When he was uh, when he was a young man, he tried to leave home to travel to southern Ghana and work in the mining industry, which is what people did to make money. He <laughs> fell sick, developed a hunch. Uh, the the ailment the ailment left him with a hunchback, oh. and a severe case of rheumatoid arthritis. Yet. He continued farming. His parents died. He took care of his siblings. And every year for as long as I can remember, for as long as I lived with him in the village, his harvest was usually the best. In oh, fact, wow. there were able-bodied people many decades his his wow. his junior who would come to him because they What's had the run secret? out of food. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Wow. And so I was like, you know, like, Brian, you can't make excuses. Like, just get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to title the show Get On With It, Brian. Okay, I want to ask you as well, because this is what really gets me curious. So where do you get your sense of humor from? What, what is it? Your grandfather was he funny? Was he always cracking jokes? I mean, you're so my grandfather. So it's that's an interesting question. Um, my grandfather and my dad, and even my mom. So my mom is my grandfather and my dad. I think can be accurate, accurately described as as disciplinarians. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, when it's time to have a laugh, right. they can laugh with the, they can laugh right. with the best of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny. This whole you got me stuck on this joy and accountability aspect. And it's like, there's this beautiful mix between being, you know, very hardcore and then also just being able to release everything. It's such a nice combination in terms of how to, how to get through life. You know, it's funny you say that because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it until you just made that comment. One of the things I noticed about my grandpa is that as much as people knew he was, you know, a disciplinarian and very mm-hmm. strict and like could be difficult yeah. to get along with. People sure. loved working for him. Yeah. There, there, there was a tra- there, there's a tradition where, where I come from where during the farming season, uh, people will go from one farm to another in groups, right? So it's like, hey, we need to help this person get their weeding ah. done. And so everyone on like the a collective, day will come to you. Collective yes, type a co- of thing. Yes, exactly. Cooperative. Yes. yes. And everyone, I, I noticed that for some reason, people really looked forward to come into Kumwabongs, to Kumwabongs, oh, <laughs> because they would That's work really extremely hard. hard. 
but they would also laugh a whole lot. Oh, that's so nice. Um, and I didn't think I didn't think about it till you just oh, till you mentioned. Wonderful! I'm glad we. I'm. I love this story. It's really wonderful. Uh, well, I, I, the problem that you and I have, I think, is oftentimes I want to talk with you for hours. So I'm going to keep the show focused <laughs> we'll here. Try to stay on course, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let me try. Okay. So uh, by the way, you and I. Speaking of intensity, you and I met in the VC lab with the Founder Institute. Do you want to yes. talk about your experience in that? Yeah, a VC lab was interesting. Um, I so I think there are two schools of thought. I think in building a in building a fund, the most critical thing is access to LPs. I think access to LPs is the most is the most critical thing. I think everything else is important, but comes a distant uh, second. I think what I got from VC Lab was a reinforcement of the absolute focus and the absolute uh, dedication to doing the small things, right? So put together yeah. a list of target LPs, you know, craft, craft. Uh, You're being your, so generous here, Brian. <laughs> put, uh, put your deck, put your deck, put your let, deck together. Let, Make sure let's that give a friends. shout out to Adeo Rossi and, here who leads Mike. the program. And, and Mike. Mike. Um, yeah, so, yeah, what's yeah, Mike's yeah, last yeah. name again? One more time. Uh, Mike, Mike. I can't remember Mike's I, last yeah. name. Apologies. I'll, I'll, I'll give them both the tag on, on Twitter. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to just remember. say. The reason I brought up the intensity aspect is because it, this program is notoriously intense, similar yes, to, is. I think, what you went through with the CFA designation. It is. Or it is. It's things. really intense. And uh, you really survived intense. it. And that's another example. Uh, we both survived it. I, I will proudly say we both survived it. But it was wonderful. So I, I dropped out towards the end. We dropped out towards the end because I felt we needed to focus almost exclusively on finding LPs. Yes, understood. Understood yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 it, it drove home. I, I remember once in a while, you know, my, my partner and I would be like, well, do we really need to be this, like, focused on, yeah, we really do need to be this. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and VC Lab drove that point home. Very, <laughs> the, very those arguments, Those arguments ceased. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I fully understand. Many of my friends went on to raise funds like yourself after the fact, and they didn't complete the program. But it gave you probably didn't need that extra push. I think I did. I needed a, a very intense push to get things rolling. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. it's 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 amazing. Really, I want to I want to recommend that to everyone here. Myself, I I really enjoyed that program a lot. Yes, yes, I I I I've I've told I've told people who ask if you've never if you've never done it before, have no insight into what's required. Programs like that are are, are key. It's 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 almost like a startup founder, right? If if you if you if you need some help an accelerator or incubator can right make, can make Precisely. a great difference and, and that's what that is well tell me also uh, so let's go into refashion now and let me lead this section three on asking you about some of the accelerators in this space are there some that are emerging that you want to support or you want to give shout outs to things like that uh plug and play i think has done the most work and has had the longest running supply chain accelerator 
Um, and so for that reason, I think they, they probably deserve a shout out. I don't know if there is another one that is as focused on supply chain per se as they are. Mm-hmm. I know Techstars for a while was working on something. I don't know if they got it yeah. off the ground. I don't think they got it off the ground yet. Um, I know there are a lot of industry 4.0 accelerators that don't necessarily think of themselves as supply chain accelerators which 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 boggles my mind because i'm like wait industry 4.0 is about how you produce things and how that is changing how is that not how is that not supply well i will also (laughs) quote you brian you said the world is a supply chain do you want to speak to that and tell us more about that or yes so the the idea that idea came to me in 2017 i think it was in august 2017 it's not i think i'm pretty sure it was in august 2017 because it's right around when i decided to form the new york supply chain meetup which then led to the Ah. worldwide supply chain federation and so basically i had been teaching myself about first supply chain logistics then supply chain more broadly and the more i the, the more i learned the more it dawned on me that you know the future the, the past was built on supply chains the present is built on supply chains the future whatever future we have is going to be built on supply chains basically the world we live in is a supply chain and you know to 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 make things very philosophical don't go there brian if if a, if a <laughs> supply chain if a supply chain is a system that enables production and consumption yes back to that thank you you know isn't the world a system that enables us to produce the things we need and consume right. the things we need <laughs> right? isn't right. that what the world is <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Well, okay. This is wonderful. I love your sharing of this. Tell, tell me about the name. Where did you? Where, where did the name come in? Thanks. So, so refashioned in terms of the name is really the brainchild of my co-founder Lisa. And when I met Lisa in 2016, in June 2016, talking about the important role that the CFA exams have played in my life, I, I, I'll t- I'll tell you a funny story. That, oh, please. That, that uh, there was a point when uh, uh, my son. My son's belief about what I did for work was <laughs> that I studied uh, 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 for boring exams. Oh, no. <laughs> he, oh, no. he was like, that's what my dad does. My dad studies for boring exams. <laughs> he thought you were a professional student. <laughs> he, he thought I was a professional student. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, indeed. Well, maybe, maybe you are. The world is you know, about learning, right? <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I met Lisa in 2016. Uh, it was in June. It was the Monday after exam day in 2016. Um, and so we got together and we were talking and someone had said, you know, a founder we both knew had said, you're both into supply chain. You should get together and talk. So we met for coffee. And what struck me is that as far as I I knew then, and it is still true to today, she's the, the, she's the only 
other person who is really thinking about supply chains and innovation and technology in a way that is parallel and complementary to how I think about it. Now, she started thinking about this from the perspective of the fashion and apparel industry um, based on her experience in textiles as a fashion tech founder and then her experience as the first executive uh, director, the founding executive director of the New York Fashion Tech Lab. Um, And so... You know, when I met her, she was like, there is so much opportunity in fashion uh, supply chains because they're broken and they need to be refashioned. And so she was like, yeah, the supply chains need to be refashioned and I'm going to build a fund to do that. When I left KC Ventures in 2018, we said, why don't we team up and build a supply chain technology fund? And the name refashioned makes sense. I mean... We're, we're investing in the reinvention, the refashioning, the transformation of, of supply chains. So we, we decided to keep the, the name. Some people have said, you know, oh, the name makes us think about fashion. And I sure. respond, yeah, once we start putting up great returns, <laughs> they will. Uh, yeah, then we can narrow it down. I understand. The fee, yes. Thank you for your, your honesty there. Tell, tell us also, tell us about what where the fund, what can you talk about the fund today? Yeah, 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 yeah. So right now, right now we're 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 doing a rolling fund on angel lists targeted mostly at individual investors. At some point in the future, we'll do an institutional fund, but we're not there yet. Um, so it's a rolling fund on angel lists. The thesis is that we are at this point in the world's history where because of climate change, because of geopolitical tensions, uh, uh, because of changing uh, uh, public perceptions about the way uh, companies manage their supply chains, we're going to see a lot of shifts and a lot of rethinking about how global trade works, about how commerce works, and technology is going to be part of how we solve some of those problems. And when you think about climate change specifically, right, the climate crisis is an outcome of the way man-made supply chains have been designed and managed. And so if we're going to solve the climate crisis, yes, we have to do all the sexy deep tech things like you right. know, pulling carbon dioxide out of the air, direct, solar direct engineering and right. whatnot, right. all those are options. But at the same time, simultaneously, we also have to rethink how so how supply chains function and work. Uh, and, and tech is going to be a big part of that. And so the goal of the fund is to to find, to support, to back the startup founders who are doing this at the early stage, right? So that's pre-seed, seed, and series A. Um, and the fund and the community are complementary and work hand in hand. Fortunately, Lisa and I are both co-founders of the fund and co-founders of the community. <laughs> and, nice. so, and so it's, it's really easy to make sure that they're, they're working uh, 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 comp- uh, uh, in ways that are complementary with one another. Wonderful. And I think you, you also host some clubhouse um, rooms. I've, I've been in a couple of them. They were really amazing in terms of Th- learning. Thank you. Thank you. I, I haven't been on Clubhouse as much as I would like recently, just because as much as I try to delude myself to think otherwise, Understood. there are only 24 hours in any day. <laughs> and there is only so much. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Appreciate that, for sure. 
And speaking of which, in two and a half hours, we have our our uh, uh, positive panel on the wellness economy. And you, Brian, you're always welcome on on every week we do these shows um, on different impact verticals. Yeah, um, yeah. And I I hope you I hope you do more of these shows because they're tremendous. Thank you, thank you. I'll 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 stop by if I can. I think today might be a good day for for stopping by. All right. Well, you're yeah. yeah we would love to have you. It's fantastic. And um, so, but but back to the the supply chain. Uh, we have a few more minutes. Just want to kind of get a more of a gauge of where the market is going and some of the companies that get you really excited right now. And just kind of like the crystal ball. What does your future look like in the supply chain uh, world? So let me start with the easy one. Um, you, you know, what does my future look like? And 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 and, and maybe I'll talk uh, for me and Lisa. You know, what I'm hoping is that we uh, continue to have success with the rolling fund, that we're able to translate that into success raising an institutional fund. And the reason I am so focused on that is because, as you very well know, the climate crisis is real. It's here. It's a code red as a situation. You know, my son just turned 14. I wake up every day and I think not only what's the future going to look like for me and my parents and, and my other relatives, but what kind of world am I going to leave my son? And, you know, if I can, I want to find the people who are solving these problems and, so, and support them. And the truth is that at the early stage for supply chain technology companies, there just is not enough, there just is not enough uh, capital. You can yeah. count the number of VCs who focus on supply chain tech at the early stage on probably less than two hands. Most people can't count five. Um, And none of them is at the point where they have, you know, let's call it $200 million of AUM. So there's a lot of room for for, for capital. Um, uh, uh, And and now I've spoken so much that I don't remember the other questions. Oh, you you talked about startups. I'm excited about Yeah, sure. I I, I try not to highlight specific startups too much because I'm a little self-conscious about talking talking my book. But um, four broad areas we're excited about. One is, and and I know that you are interested in some of these two, one is advanced materials. So that is um, all the stuff that we waste are there ways, technology-driven ways, that we can turn that waste into new products, right? So plastics, uh, 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 fashion. Circular economy waste. stuff. Yes, circular eco- economy stuff. And then obviously related to that, if you're going to have success doing that, then you ha- you probably need to come up with new ways of manufacturing things because uh-huh, of old ways of manufacturing right. things. So advanced manufacturing is another one. Advanced materials, advanced manufacturing. Um, as you know, the um, the cost of computing technology is reducing, is going down drastically. And so all of a sudden, it's possible to use uh, software and other, you know, IT technologies to make better decisions about almost everything that we do. And so data and decision analytics is another area. And then given that logistics is really the linchpin of everything that happens in supply chains, next generation uh, logistics. Um, so, 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 so finding ways to make the operation and management of logistics ne- networks far more efficient now and in the future than they have been. 
any company that's working on any of those four things is incredibly exciting. It's incredibly yeah, exciting. Yeah, I can tell. Wow. Us. You're getting me really excited. This is <laughs> scribbling notes as fast as I can. Thank you. know, you. I'll, 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 I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something uh, an LP consultant said to me sometime last year. Uh, we were talking and he said, Brian, is it okay if I tell you something? And I said, yes. He said, you know, when you're talking about other subjects, you, you seem fine. You know, you seem like, okay, he seems... But when we come to supply chain, it's like you <laughs> dial it's like you dial into this complete other personality. Yes, it's yes. like you're a man possessed. <laughs> well, here's the most difficult question you'll get in the whole show. What is the mission of the fund? So, um, you, you know, I think if you go to our website, I think we say we champion startups that are transforming global supply chains and i know that sounds somewhat vague but you know we wouldn't be championing them if they were making the world a worse place right if yes. they were if they were pollu- causing more pollution and so right this is why you're on the show that's, that's why you're getting an invite to come back. <laughs> i need more guests like you right so we, we we champion startups that are making the world a better place through supply chain technology right through the application of technology and science and all the incredible knowledge that human civilization has developed over the, the the centuries right to making to to making the world a better place for uh, for all of us okay that's our call to action and i know everyone's going to enjoy this show tremendously brian thank you again for your time today and i thank wish you. you all of the success thank you zeka have a great weekend we've had amazing guests on the show and i'm very grateful for all of your support The show is now available also on Google. It's available on Amazon. It's available on pretty much all the platforms, iTunes. We would love any positive feedback you could give on iTunes especially. Leave us a review and keep listening. Appreciate it.